So as we begin this new year, I would just like to offer a word of gratitude and thanks to all the parishioners, to all the volunteers, to all the ministers, to anyone in any way who has contributed to the building up of this parish. You know, these past two years have been challenging in a variety of ways, but the parish is in a very good space and position. And also as well on a personal note, I just want to thank people as well for their Christmas greetings, cards, and blessings. And you know, as priests, we feel the love, and we continue to want to work with you to building up this parish into the family that is called to be. And so today I want to address a topic and an issue that I believe can potentially threaten the fabric of our parish family, of our society, and of our world. And of course, it has to do with COVID. Now, it's not, this is not Father Troy's COVID rant, and I'll preface this conversation by saying that I'm not here to criticize anyone's decision to receive or not receive the vaccine. If you receive the vaccine after careful discernment and according to your conscience, then I respect that. But if you've also chosen to not receive the vaccine after discernment and according to your conscience, I respect that as well. The church has taught that it is licit to receive it, but also licit to refuse it as well. But what I do want to talk about is what has happened in the last couple of weeks, particularly in Quebec. In response to the Omicron variant on December 17, the government of Quebec instituted a mandate in which those who wanted to enter into the church were required to provide proof vaccination. So the question for us is, what does the church teach? What's our position on this? You see, the church teaches that religious freedom is a fundamental human right. The church teaches in her documents that this religious freedom is grounded in the very dignity of the human person. And as such, it should be recognized in constitutional law. And so what the church is saying is that by virtue of the fact that we are humans, by our dignity, we have the right to religious freedom. And so this freedom then is recognized by civil law and by the state. It is not given by the state. In addition to that, by our baptism, it has affirmed this truth and elevated it as well. You see, when Jesus was baptized, as we heard in the gospel today, we hear that the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form. And as we hear in the first reading, it speaks of how the Spirit is anointing Jesus. And anointing is a very important sign and symbol in the Jewish scriptures because there were special figures who were anointed the king, the prophets, and priests. When I was ordained a priest, I, I too was anointed. But in your baptism, each and every one of your baptisms, you too were anointed. You were anointed on the head right after the baptism. So you were anointed as a king or queen, as a prophet, and for our purposes today, as a priest. And what does a priest do? A priest offers sacrifice to offer worship. 
And so not only is your religious freedom, there your, your freedom to worship, a fundamental human right, it is also your baptismal right. Because each and every one of you were appointed by your baptismal priesthood to offer sacrifice. And so, when the government was, is asking for proof of vaccination in order to enter into the church, that is a violation of our fundamental human rights and our baptismal rights. Because our freedom to worship does not come from the government, it comes from the, our human dignity and from our baptism. And so I want to assure you that that will not happen in our church under our watch. That will not happen in our diocese under Bishop McGrath. In fact, he's explicitly stated that we cannot ask for proof of vaccination because proof of vaccination to enter into the church is not a condition for worship. But I want to go a little bit deeper. Where did the idea for the requirement for the proof of vaccination come from? And I would say one would come from the idea that somehow churches are more dangerous. And I take exception to that because I work here every day. I minister to all the people. And for the last 18 months, we have been open. And there has been no outbreak, particularly at St. James. And I would presume in the diocese as well because the media would have blasted that on the news. Not only that, we have received numerous complaints for, for a variety of reasons, four times to AHS, and on the third time, AHS has actually come to St. James Parish, and they saw all our messaging, our signing, everything that we're trying to do, and they said that you're doing everything that you can to keep this place safe. So if people don't believe us, believe AHS. But secondly, I believe, and I think as well, that the idea for the requirement for the vaccine passport is coming from the narrative that the unvaccinated are more dangerous than the vaccinated. Now, I will concede, of course, last year, the data shows that there were more unvaccinated people due to the Delta variant than the, un than the vaccinated. But to say that with regards to the Omicron variant now, I think is untenable. And I think the data and the shows it. For example, the CDC has made a statement in July and on December that those who are infected with the Omicron or Delta variant can still transmit it to the other person, even if you're vaccinated. And if you look at the raw data that we have from Ontario and Alberta, those who are unvaccinated account for 7,600 of the active cases in Alberta as of Friday. You can check for yourself. The vaccinated account for 35,000 of the active cases. In Ontario, the new cases, those who are vaccinated account for 80% of the cases. Now, with regards to hospitalizations, in Alberta, it's about 50-50. There's about 216 people in Alberta who are unvaccinated who are hospitalized. And there are also 266 people who are vaccinated who are also hospitalized. In Ontario, the numbers are very similar. 50% of the people in ICU are vaccinated and unvaccinated. Whereas those who are hospitalized actually account, those who are vaccinated actually account for 70% of the hospitalizations 
in Ontario. So what am I trying to say? Of course, we can debate the degree to which whether one group has a greater likelihood to be in the hospital or not, per 100,000. I can see that. But to say that it is only the unvaccinated who are in the hospital is simply false. And what I would also say that is more dangerous is that this principle and idea is being used to create another idea which says that because it is primarily the fault of the unvaccinated, or only the fault of the unvaccinated, people or governments are justified in taking away the fundamental rights and religious freedoms of people. For example, in the case of Quebec, taking away the rights of people to enter into mass, so as to coerce them to act against their conscience by receiving the vaccine is unjust and immoral. We, we cannot agree with the principle in that way, that, we, that is right for us and justified to take away the fundamental rights of a group of people. When we go down that road, it becomes a very dark road. We must be free to act according to our conscience. People's conscience, of course, are not infallible, and that's why the Catholic Church encourages everyone to have an informed conscience. But as be that as it may, the Church teaches us that we are obligated to follow our conscience because that's how we understand and obey the law of God. And I bring this up because it is important in relationship to our baptism. You see, consider the symbol of baptism. Consider the, the water. There are two aspects, spiritual aspects to it. There is a life-giving aspect and also a death-giving aspect. We know that water is essential for life. But at the same time, too, we know that if you're in the deep end of the pool and you cannot swim, we know the death-giving aspect of water as well. And so Jesus, when he is baptized, he takes on these, this double meaning of water in his own baptism. That the action he will perform, is a foreshadowing of the action that he will perform, is death-giving, but also life-giving. And so, that's speaking of his death and resurrection. And so when we are baptized as well, we are also participating in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's why St. Paul says, those who have died with Christ shall also rise with him as well. And so the traditional baptism of Christians was that you would wear this dark garment and you would walk three steps down into the, this baptismal pool and take three steps out of this pool. And then you put on a white garment. And it was a symbol of the sacramental reality that you were dying with Christ, taking off that dark garment, but also rising with Christ to new life by wearing the white garment. And this is the point I want to get across. That when each and every one of us was baptized, we were baptized into the one body of Jesus. St. Paul says, For by one Spirit you have been baptized into one body. And this is critical for, critical for us as Christians. That any idea or thought that seeks to demonize or ostracize a particular group of people 
is contrary to our baptismal identity and our Christian values. That's why St. Paul says, There is neither now Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. For all are one in Christ Jesus. And so, when we, when we hear these narratives that seek to take away the fundamental rights of a group of people, we are called as Christians to unite the body of Christ. That is our job. Our society is very divided right now, but we are called as Christians to be the healing balm of our world and of our church. And so my brothers and sisters, I challenge each and every one of you today Jesus says that if you are offering your gift at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, go and make peace with your brother and sister, then come back and offer your gift. And so I challenge you, my brothers and sisters, each of us, we all know someone who has alienated us or whom we have alienated because of our particular view And so we're invited to take the first step to begin the healing process. It doesn't mean that they're automatically going to be reconciled. But we at least have to make the first step to begin to heal the body of Christ. Because what we celebrate at Mass, we profess this spiritual unity. And if we begin to heal the body, then it just won't be a spiritual symbol. It will be an actual reality that we live in our hearts, in our communities, so that we can say with St. Paul and like St. Paul, there is now neither Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female, nor vaccinated nor unvaccinated, for all are one in Christ Jesus.